the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All the offenses from Adam to the end find their nexus, their joining point. They coalesce in the mind and heart of Christ from Gethsemane to the cross. And the cross is the one moment in time when a righteous man had the right to appeal for justice and have his tormentors destroyed by a righteous God, and it would have been legally sound, and yet there was no righteous judgment lightning bolts to end it all. The righteous sufferer died for the world. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Getting Even God's Way is the name of today's message with Pastor Mike. Today we'll bring you the first portion of this message, But remember, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. for not just the atmosphere of grace and love, but the life that demonstrates it, where we are quick to seek forgiveness, where we are quick to turn the other way and have understanding, and where we do not harbor evil in our hearts toward anyone. That is my prayer, because Lord, I want heaven here, and I want to be there where it's just like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of the message this morning is Getting Even God's Way. I mean, there are times in life we all want to get even a little bit. We like to get that person who got us just a little, right? Oh, come on. You know I'm right, right? Sure, get even just a little. It goes through the mind. It's just as gone a little too far. And it's human. It's utterly human. Friend, resentment, and that's really what fuels this thing. Resentment is a kind of concrete that hardens and solidifies the power of pain into spiritual ruin. And we really don't address it enough in the Christian church to get a handle on it. We will do so today. When pain is pondered and cherished over time, then the heart is sapped of its ability to live, to thrive, and to love. Pain fuels resentment. The devil has used pain. Yes, pain. I'm talking about loss, disappointment, whatever it is. Physical pain to trap many a soul who would not move beyond pain. Hell at the end of the millennium. And there is a hell at the end of the millennium. Last time I checked Revelation chapter 20. And it will be well occupied by many a resentful soul that never overcame the penetrating power of pain in their lives. That is why the most painful moment in the history of the universe became the moment, the golden moment, when God did something with pain, when he dealt with resentment decisively. That is the moment when God in Christ stretched out his arms of love to embrace the world, and God forgave in Christ the human race. Dramatic moment, freely forgave us, freely pardoned us, lavished upon us the gift of his love in Christ. 
The gospel, friends, and the gospel's good news because forgiveness, when it meets pain and resentment, is always good news. The gospel that saves us is not good advice. God didn't come here to give us a bunch of lists of things to make life harder. He came to set us free. The gospel that changes us, friend, is not a laundry list of deeds to do in order to merit God's favor. Now, there is a law of God. Now, if you read Romans and you come to prayer meeting and you benefit from the exegesis that the pastor does, you will learn that the righteousness that comes by faith is apart from law, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, God is not against the law, but God is against the law as a means for righteousness. When you approach God's holy standard as that which saves you, you are with a curse, according to the book of Galatians. So there is the good news that God has granted us a righteousness that is not based on how good we are. It's not based on how accomplished we have been at religious things. It is based on the unmerited favor of God, the love of God that loved us when we couldn't save ourselves. At the cross, the gospel that brings us back to God is God's personal, heartfelt good news in Jesus that overcomes resentment and pain. It overcomes sin in the gift of God's forgiveness. So we have an overcoming faith as Christians. We don't have some weak faith that does not overcome. The faith of the Christian overcomes evil. Friend, you cannot separate the pain of Jesus' cross from the cure of the cross. At the heart of the gospel of God is a cross where every human being meets an alien kind of forgiveness. Wrapped in naked love and pain, there the glory shines out. You know, it's a foreign kind of forgiveness because it's not the kind we would have naturally dreamed up, but it nonetheless is there. A foreign kind of forgiveness that seems too good to be true, and yet it becomes the good news. It is forgiveness, real forgiveness, that defies our religious logic and our sense of justice. Theologians have messed it up when trying to describe this kind of love because it cannot be quantified. It cannot be systematized. It is something that breaks our ability to understand it, yet it can be experienced and felt. And it is a forgiveness that is so deep that it mutilates the matrix of our preconceived theology and philosophies and renders them useless. So we must bow down and worship God when we see a forgiving God hanging on that cross. Friend, God's forgiveness in Jesus, and it always comes that way. It doesn't come around him. It doesn't come through. It comes in Jesus. Is the power of God that turns resentment into contentment and peace and joy in a person's life. Friend, in Jesus. I don't get tired of saying in Jesus because there's no other way to be saved. You're not saved out of him. You're saved in Jesus In Jesus, forgiveness is the road that redirects the personal pain toward gain, that leads to purpose and meaning in a life that's lived for others and not for self, where the ego is not so central anymore, but the good of others is primary. Forgiveness is the crucible of offense, pain, and love that forges a future with joy, purpose, and meaning in Jesus. Pain, and I know this from personal experience, pain attacks faith. You ever had something awful happen to you and you say, why did God let that happen to me? Pain attacks faith and faith flounders when there is no meaning for the offended soul. Friend, without forgiveness, and I'm getting right to the heart of our need, without forgiveness, accepted and given, the wrongs you suffer have no real purpose in your life. They become meaningless. You see, without forgiveness, you're trapped by them 
if you do not forgive. And when you forgive someone from your heart, really do, not faking it, but really do, set them free from your heart. Someone who has hurt you deeply, you know, not just a little thing, but a big thing, your pain surrenders to purpose, faith, and a future. And purpose sets you free on a path of meaning, the path of meaning that leads to God's glorious purpose and future for you in Christ. You know, we are living in a time when it is time to forgive. We demonstrate that we are Christians to the degree and to the extent that we forgive those who harm us. The person who forgives his or her tormentor is the person who has overcome the power of the oppressor. The person who forgives is the person who wins. It is no accident the most painful moment in the history of the universe was the cross of Christ. All the offenses from Adam to the end find their nexus, their joining point. They coalesce in the mind and heart of Christ from Gethsemane to the cross. And the cross is the one moment in time when a righteous man had the right to appeal for justice and have his tormentors destroyed by a righteous God and it would have been legally sound and yet there was no righteous judgment lightning bolts to end it all. The righteous sufferer died for the world. And at the peak of pain, the pinnacle of injustice, the words of Jesus saved the universe for all time. Now I don't get tired of his prayer. It's one that we must model. Christ said, Father... Well, you know what he said. What did he say? Forgive who? Them. Why? For they know not what they do. You know, we're the ignorant masses that he was praying for. We're the ignorant world that needed that prayer that has reached down the centuries to find us. You know, anyone who gets to heaven starts out ignorant, becomes enlightened because of that prayer. At the cross, mercy kissed justice and infinite pain surrendered to the sweet perfume of God's forgiveness in Christ. The Bible is abundantly clear that the cross of Jesus Christ is the central focus and concern of a proxy judgment. What do I mean by that? It means where Christ takes our place in the judgment, very similarly to how he took our place at the cross. You know, we need a substitute, not just a Calvary. We need someone to stand for us at the final hour of history in the judgment of heaven, the investigative judgment. Without the cross, friend, there is no real road that leads from pain and resentment to the kingdom of God. There is no way that Christ can represent us as our proxy in the heavenly judgment. So let's look at this. Turn to Matthew 18, 23. I want to just dive right in. The Bible is very direct. Jesus is speaking. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, that's his father, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, many years passing, we've had all kinds of people saying, you know, there's no such thing as an investigative judgment. You ever hear that? Come on, tell me if you've heard that. And we have self-appointed theologian types telling us that stuff. Now, look at verse 23. What do you see? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who did what? who wished to settle accounts with the servants. In other words, audit the books. That's an investigative judgment. One verse in Christ, with Christ in Matthew 18, 23, sets aside that false theology. Now notice what the kingdom is not here. The kingdom is not a club where wrongs are ignored and offenses set aside and some lovey-huggy thing because everyone needs to get along. That's not the way heaven works. The kingdom is not a whitewashed city where pain is ignored. Painted over and injustice treated as something trivial and important. In fact, to the contrary, you'll see that it's treated very seriously. 
The kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, is a court, a kingdom court where the books are opened, where an accounting occurs, where there's a balancing of wrongs and rights, and somehow we get through the assessment to the other side. It's like a tribunal that sits and audits the account of every man and woman as each case is decided. Yeah, that idea alone is a little nervous. And yet we will see that the principle of the kingdom court is mercy and forgiveness. That's what they're looking for. Christ is very clear. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So according to Christ, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom court. Now, you cannot understand this kingdom court unless you accept the truth of the everlasting gospel. Unless you come to grips with what forgiveness is, you really won't understand what's happening up there. Christ says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now think about that. You and I have a debt. Don't we have a debt in our life? How big a debt do you have? Is it little or big? Come on, take your hands out. Is it like this? Or is it real big? Now, is it bigger than your ability to go up? It sure is. It's huge. We have a huge debt. Now, God doesn't want to just see you hanging on with that debt. God has a passion for that debt to go away in your life. And so he cares about ending that debt. Now, there are many well-meaning theologian types today in the Christian church who refuse to accept the notion that there is this end-time investigative judgment. And yet the text says God wishes to give an accounting and to deal with that debt. They claim that a judge like that, that would require a pre-evident judgment, somehow that's against the gospel. Why would God bring us into judgment if we have Christ? And they really ignore the clearest teaching of the Scripture. An investigative judgment in which a king wished to settle accounts with his servants is considered by them double jeopardy that would render the cross meaningless. And I've heard them go on and on and on. And they really do not read the New Testament in context. They're quick to quote John 5, 24 out of context while verses like Matthew 18, 23, Revelation 11, 15 to 18, and Daniel 7, 10 to 14, they ignore all those. Well, let's start with John 5, 24. Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. What does Christ say there? Do you say he will have eternal life? Say he might have eternal life? What does he say? Has eternal life. I mean, we have Christ right now, and that means we have eternal life when? We have him now. If we have Christ, life is in the Son. We have eternal life because we have Jesus. And so what's the outcome in the future? He does not come into judgment, but what? Has passed from death to life. I like that. Now, it doesn't mean there's not a judgment. It just says you don't come into judgment. Now, we will learn in the book of Daniel, there's a proxy judgment where Christ comes into judgment as your substitute. Christ represents you before the judgment bar of God as your representative because you have passed from judgment unto life. And that is really what the prophetic picture is. Judgment, verse 24, means condemnation, not investigation, the strictest sense. So Christ, in a real sense, removes the condemnation from you and... We will learn in the verses that follow in Daniel and Revelation, he represents you in a proxy judgment. Matthew 18, 23 is clear. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who settled accounts with his servants. Settling accounts involves investigation. Now, my boys from time to time would clean their rooms, and it isn't an often task for them. They clean them like every quarter. You know, like we have communion, right? 
And this cleansing is not very thorough. And so I have found when I go down there, whoops, this is going to end up on the radio. This is risky. I know their grandma is listening. Well, I'll say it anyway. I go down there and I go into the rooms and I do an investigative judgment. Because I know grandma hates messes. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. She wants that room to be nice. They probably inherited their dad's ways, but I have to clean up their act. And so I go in, I say, couldn't you kind of pick the socks off the floor and put the smelly shirt upstairs in the laundry? And does that hide, Donald, that you're skinning, have to stay there and cure in your room. Dad, that's a beautiful hide. You see, the investigated judgment is not to condemn my children because I love them. It's to clean the room out to make it more livable for the future. See, God has a purpose in auditing the accounts. He doesn't want sin to arise again. He doesn't want a bad attitude to infect heaven. He wants heaven to be an atmosphere of love, and he has to audit the books to see it so. Time and time again, the Bible describes the coming kingdom in which there is an investigative judgment of the righteous in heaven just before Jesus returns. It's not a little thing here or there. It's all the way through Scripture. I'll give you a few snapshots. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices where? Now, where's the place? Earth or heaven? What does the context say? In heaven. So this is a heavenly scene. You will see it's a heavenly courtroom scene saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Here we see a snapshot of what will be described in other scripture. Notice that this statement of the kingdom of heaven is not made on earth, as I said, or in Jerusalem or the Vatican or United Nations. It's a heavenly scene. In verse 15, the last kingdom to rule the world is here established at the end of the age as the kingdom of heaven. The text says there were loud voices in heaven. That means there are individuals looking in on this judgment scene. In Daniel 7, thrones are cast down. The Ancient of Days takes his seat. So we have a heavenly context, not an earthly context in these verses. In fact, when you look at the verse here, it says very clearly, he will reign forever and ever. So this kingdom never ends. Really, what's occurring here... The book of Revelation is borrowing from the book of Daniel. I'm not going to take you through a detailed study of Daniel, just overview. Daniel chapter 2, there's an image. That image is prophetic of the great world empires from Babylon to the end of time. We see that Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the head of gold, represented Babylon, followed by the chest of silver, Medo-Persia. The next kingdom was the waste of brass, Greece. The legs of iron was the mighty Roman Empire. Rome actually divided into two pieces. Most people don't realize that, east and west. We have two legs of iron there. And then the Bible says that the iron of Rome really goes to the end. It goes all the way down the toes. There'd be some form of Rome that would exist at the end. The Bible never predicts that the Roman Empire would fall. It pictures that it would transition into a divided kingdom. And that really became the divided Europe 
of the Middle Ages, which still has the fabric of the Roman Empire and Western civilization. So the feet of iron and clay. Now Daniel's very clear. Some kingdoms would be weak like clay. Others would be strong like iron, ten toes, symbolic of about the ten nations of Europe, give or take a few, as it moved back and forth over ten in the Middle Ages. But the real reason why you have ten there is that the nations of the world at the very end of time would challenge the Ten Commandment law of God. You bow down, you worship an image at its feet. And so the rock that collides with the image, symbolizing the Son of God at the end of time, collides with the nations at odds with God's law at the end of time. And just like an image is for worship in paganism, the rock of ages is for us to worship. And so there's a collision of worship concepts. There's a war of ideals here. And God's kingdom collides with the world at a dramatic intervention called the second coming. Let's read verse 42 of Daniel 2. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom should be partly strong and partly brittle. Verse 43, And as you saw, the iron was mixed with miry clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, World War I marks the point in time when the great monarchies of Europe were unable to hold together in marriage. So this prophecy brings us down to that failure. Now, look what it says here in verse 44. In the days of those kings. Now what it's saying is, in the days of the monarchies preceding that failure to unite. In the 1800s, the four great families of Europe, the Hohenzollerns, the Habsburgs, the Romanovs, and the Ottomans. There was an attempt to intermarry and bring Europe together after the Napoleonic Wars. It failed. World War I is the failure. And the Bible is saying in the days of the monarchies, just before that failure, before World War I, that most likely puts us in the 1800s. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Friends, something happened in heaven where God's kingdom was set up prior to World War I. And that kingdom will come in glory in Christ at the end of the age to crush the kings of the earth at odds with God's law. Verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. What does that mean? It means it's not man's kingdom, but God's kingdom. It goes on to say that it broke in pieces the iron. That means the Roman fabric, the bronze, going back to Greece, the clay, and all the metals, silver and gold. And I like the way the verse ends. A great God has made known to the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I mean, so there is a judgment at the end. There's a time when God's kingdom is established. And Revelation 11 is talking about that. It's alluding back to Daniel 2. Something happens in heaven before the coming of Christ, before Christ is the great stone, the rock of ages, collides in glory at the end of time with the kings of the earth and crushes them to save his people. Go back to Revelation eleven sixteen. That's the context here. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Why would they do that? Because they're tickled to death about the future. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that it's not going to be the way I've been observing it recently in the news. Will North Korea nuke Alaska? Or California or Hawaii? Will Russia bomb Alaska? I mean, has that ever been our news lately? I mean, who will make the world safer? Our future is not this world, it's the world to come. And so the four and twenty elders recognize that in this heavenly judgment, this is established in heaven. It will come to earth. 
We are in a glorious time of heavenly interaction. It says, And the 24 elders fell on their faces. This is the judgment moment that we live in. Verse 17. The 4 and 20 elders cry out in verse 17. Saying, We give thanks to thee, Lord God Almighty, who art and who wast that thou hast taken thy great power and begun to reign. The proclamation of the King of God in heaven precedes the destruction of the kings of the earth. It starts in heaven, and that is why Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven. There is a heavenly judgment prior to the judgment against the nations. Getting Even God's Way is the name of today's broadcast. And unfortunately, we're going to need to leave it there due to our time constraints. But don't forget, you can always listen to the entire message without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. We hear every day about disasters, troubles, problems, difficulties ahead. We have a small 64-page volume entitled Soul Care that is just filled with practical information on how you can grow as a Christian and even thrive in the tough times ahead. Again, the name of the book is Soul Care, and it's yours right now just for calling. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can call that number right now or at any time to receive your free book entitled Soul Care. Call now. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area or passing through, we'd love to welcome you to our church family. Stop by Reaching Hearts International and join us for a worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. The address for the church is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. If you're wondering how to get a copy of today's broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Again, the address for the website is reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.